Well, good morning. I, this feels like my second home. It's good to be back with you. Um, oh. Well, it was only 11 o'clock or something last night. I went. All I did was sleep. Um, uh, what we're doing this morning is just trying to pull together the threads of the week. I don't know what sort of week it's been for you. Most of you are probably feeling a little tired. Anybody feeling tired? No. No? Well, I was going to say feel free to go to sleep, but if you're not feeling tired, I won't say it. Um, NYC is always, for me, a pretty intense week. Lots of ideas come swirling around. We're exploring all sorts of things, digging into different passages, having conversations with many, many people about all sorts of things. Some of it's just fun and fluffy, and some of it's as deep as you can get. Um, and my guess is that for some of us at the moment, we're sort of feeling overwhelmed with everything that's, that's come. Others are feeling a bit feisty because we haven't liked everything that's come. Some of us are just feeling so tired we don't know what we're feeling, <laughs> but we'd like to sleep. Um, well, I just want to take maybe 15, 20 minutes to try and pull together some of the threads of the week. We've been exploring the subject of grace, God's incredible generosity, his extravagant kindness to us. Now, grace really is the answer to the question, why? Do you remember when you are a little kid and that's the only question you ever asked? But why? Why does this happen? Why does the sun come up? Why does it come up in the morning? Why does it come up in the afternoon? Why, why, why? We, we asked the why question and we probably drove our parents nutty. And the reason we asked the why questions is because things happened around us that just caused us to wonder. It, it, not just ask the inquisitive question, but actually it's surprising. It's the sun come up. What, what's the sun? Why is it coming up? What's it doing? It's, it's that sort of wonder at what is going on around us. That, that's what promotes the why question. We're amazed. And so we ask why? But as we grew up, the why normally gets replaced with how, especially for engineers. How does it work? And it's a good question, but something is lost when you only ask the how question. You, you only get mechanics. You don't get people. You don't get motivation. This week, we've tried to put the why question back onto your agenda, back into your minds to re-enter your vocabulary because we wanted to reopen your hearts and minds and mine as well to that sense of wonder. Why did Christ die? Well, I can start with the how sort of part of it. He died as a propitiation for our sins. He died to justify the unrighteous in a just way. He died to redeem us from the slavery we're in. But why? Why did God do something so costly? And if you push back and ask why, 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 eventually the answer is grace. God's kindness, God's mercy, God's generosity. Why did God do something so costly? It's just pure love and generosity. Why is God like that? Why? Well, he is. He chooses to be. It's not that God can't help himself as if it's just written into his DNA and he's just got to be whatever his nature is. No, he wants to be gracious. He chooses minute after minute, person after person, year after year, decade after decade, 
to be gracious to people like you and me. Not just people like you and me, to you and me. Why does God send his spirit? Well, because we need regeneration. We need it. Without the spirit coming working, we'd get what we choose and continue to choose, determinedly choose, which is to suppress the truth about God and just do our own thing and keep God out of being God. Without the spirit regenerates, we'd get what we deserve. But why does God give himself to be the means of that? Why not just some other force? Why does he give it his spirit to live inside me? To mess with my desire and will, the choices and secrets of my hearts, to be in that mess and to start to change and transform it because, well, the first answer is because I need him to do it. The outside pressure on me will never change my heart. It's got to be something from inside me. And mere human power is not enough to change me. It's got to be God's power. But why does God do it? Why? Why? Well, because of grace. He didn't want to leave me on that train headed to destruction. Even though I wanted to stay on it, it's his grace that moved him to give me his spirit, to pour his spirit out on me generously, to rebirth me. But why me? And we found out this week it's nothing to do with me. God just decided me and you. He decided it ages ago, before I was born, before I was a twinkle in my parents' eye, before there was a world for me to live in, he decided that it was going to be me and you. And for some of us, that's been a confronting thought. Why me? (laughs) Why not others? And we found it hard to join Paul in saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us by choosing us and predestining us. We've actually found that a bit difficult to to get on, on board with. But I hope you've gone a little bit beyond that and something of the wonder and mystery of it has started to break through. I wouldn't have chosen me, but God chose me. God chose you. He, he decided to love you. There's a tinge of ambivalence in, in coming to grips with that because, like Paul, sometimes I feel like I'd rather be left out than have some of my friends left out, as far as I know, or some of my family. They're still on the train. I'll go back on the train if, if they could get off somehow. And yet I hope you've started to, to, to see why me only has the answer grace. In the end, that's the only answer, isn't it? God decided to be kind to you. Enormously kind, unimaginably kind, extraordinarily, particularly kind to you. And he chose to adopt me into his family so that even now, sitting here in in, in this room, I can call the creator of the universe Father. And know that every time I just lift my thoughts to him, he's all ears to hear what I want to say, to take into account my requests, my desires, my stupid little uh, 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 questions I ask him. Because he's my father. And he's decided to share everything he owns with me. What a crazy thing to do. Uh, There will be a new creation one day. This creation is good enough. There's going to be a new creation even better And he says he's going to share that with me. It was interesting in the seminar group I was in, when we asked, I think it was the 
seminar four or five, whatever it was, about adoption. The, the first question was, what are the benefits of being in a family? And no one in our seminar group suggested getting the inheritance. Did they in yours? They did. Okay. Uh, now, in mine, I'm not quite sure why we didn't, because I know that some of the, the, peop- the students in my seminar group have actually got parents who are relatively rich, and almost certainly they will get a decent sort of inheritance. But we sort of feel a bit embarrassed about being so greedy that, that I want an inheritance. I just want my parents to die so I get the... Yeah, please don't think like that. But it is an incredible benefit of being in the sort of family that many of us are in that we almost certainly will get an inheritance from our parents. Our parents have, have worked hard and saved up so that there's something for you when they're no longer here. Well, God is not going to be no longer here, even though he isn't going to die. He says, I want to share all I have with you. I want you to be a co-owner with me, to rule over my new world with me. Why does God do that? Because he's lazy, because he's lonely, doesn't have enough children around. He's sort of sitting there saying, oh, I wish there were a few more people here that I could share things with. No, it's grace. It's pure love. That's what drives God. That's the answer to the why question all the time. Why? Why? Well, eventually you get back to grace, the generosity of God to you and me. So if you've got your Bibles, in your small groups you've been looking at Romans chapters 3 to 5. I want to go to one verse in Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 11. He says, We boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We boast. It's a strange word because you saw that in chapter 3, boasting was wrong. And there is a form of boasting which is just ugly, isn't it? Look at me. It's, it's horrible. And we see it and we do it and it's ugly. But there's another form of boasting which is actually good. It's wonderful. It's a sort of boasting. um, You could translate the word exulting, except we don't use that word very much. It's a word that that communicates fist pump. You know, hey, hey. You ever done it? Your team just scores the winning goal. Hey. You just passed your exam. Hey. She said yes. Hey. Yeah, it's that feeling. But notice what it's about. We exult in God. So the the importance of asking the why question is in the end, your eyes move above the blessings to the blesser. If you don't ask the why questions, you just enjoy the blessings. You just get lost in the gift. But when you ask the why question... It lifts your eyes to the person, to God, by whose grace we get all these things, we have all these things, we are all these things. And so the end point, I hope, of this week is that you are exulting in God. You've asked the why question again and again and again, and you keep coming back with the answer, his grace. I can't believe it. I'm stunned. It's just his grace, his grace. And so I exult 
in God. Now, that sort of feeling of being blown away, of the unexpected coming, and it, it just blows my mind again. You can't sustain that every second of, of, of the day and the week and the year and, and your life. There are times, and I hope this week has been a time when that's really hit home to your heart and you've understood the, the, the magnitude of God's love for you. And it has blown your mind and it's blown you away and you haven't been able to go to sleep because you just can't believe how gracious God has been to you. And those sort of times are really precious. They're really valuable, but you can't live in them when you go home this afternoon, next week, when uh, classes start again and you're back to the normal routines of life. So I want to remind you of the story that we looked at on Tuesday morning. Remember the woman in Luke 7? She, she's, she's having that moment, isn't she? The blow my mind moment. She's so blown away by the, the experience of being forgiven that she just can't help herself. She, she's got to get into that room and anoint Jesus' feet. And it all just bubbles out in, in amazing emotion and us engineers would never do that. But some of you are probably uninhibited enough to express it like that. But what Jesus says, his diagnosis of what's going on, really is the critical thing. The person forgiven much loves much. And that understanding, that self-consciousness, is what we need not just when we feel the highs, but day by day, minute by minute. You see, there's a chain in her experience. The chain goes, I know my sin. It sucks. I hate it. I I know it's real, it's terrible. And then there's grace. She knows the forgiveness of Jesus, of her creator. And that leads to love. Notice what starts the chain. It's actually her sin. We tend to think that sin must only be destructive. And in many ways it is just destructive, isn't it? Our sin affects our families, it affects our friendships, it affects ourselves, it affects God in a distant way, it affects how I relate to God, I'm distant, I know that, that, that he's displeased with what I do. It seems like it's only ever destructive. I can't imagine sin ever being helpful. But for her, in one sense her sin was helpful, wasn't it? The more she sins, the more she's forgiven, the more she loves. And that's the amazing thing about grace. It even turns sin and evil into a sort of positive. It's hard to imagine anything that can do that. But that's what grace is like. The more I sin, the more grace I experience. And so instead of sin being destructive of my relationship with God and how I feel about myself and everything else, it suddenly becomes a positive. I've been bucketed with lavish grace. And the more I sin, the more grace I experience. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Where sin increases, grace super increases. So that where sin used to reign in death, now grace reigns in life. When you sin, and I take it you do it occasionally, in action, in attitude, you do? Yeah, occasionally, just sometimes. Is that right? What's the effect of that? Well, if there's no grace, it would be terrible, wouldn't it? It would just leave you hanging with nowhere to go. 
But with grace, even your sin becomes something that generates an experience of God's wonderful grace and therefore a response of ongoing and deep love, gratitude and affection for God, for the Lord Jesus, who has been so gracious to you. It's so weird. It messes with your mind to think that my sin might actually be good. In fact, it makes some people ask, should I sin more that I get more grace? Wouldn't it be, let's go out and really do it bad and we get more grace. Well, if that's how you're feeling, you've actually understood grace because that's exactly what Paul has to answer in Romans 6. He knows that's where it could lead and he tells you why it doesn't lead there. You need to read Romans 6. But it doesn't lead there because when you love the Lord Jesus, you don't want to sin more. You just do. But when you do, instead of working against you, by grace it works for you. That is incredible. And that means when I do stuff up, I've got every reason to fess up. I don't need to hide. In fact, it's stupid to hide and pretend I haven't done it. I can live in that sort of openness and transparency with God because of his grace and therefore with each other as well. And the love that then comes is what generates that eagerness to do good uh, that Paul talks about in Titus chapter 2. It creates the energy and the motivation to no longer live for myself and just do my own thing and be selfish, but to love the Lord Jesus and therefore love the people that he loves and the things that he loves. So let me just paint a quick picture of a couple of aspects of what life under grace looks like, living under the reign of grace. The first, as I've hinted at, is it leads us to exult in God himself. Our creator is our lover. He's totally committed to our welfare. My sin and my suffering does not compromise that. In fact, it heightens it. He's totally committed to my good. Can you believe that? It's hard to believe. Because all our experience of life leads us to treat everyone who, who says they're totally committed to our welfare with a bit of suspicion. Our parents say it to us, and we sort of half believe it. If you've got really good parents, you, you, you sort of believe it, but almost all of us have the experience of, I wonder what would happen if I failed. <laughs> would my parents' love and affirmation be, be compromised by that? And, and most of us think it might, and therefore we live with that fear. Even the best parents, there's a conditionality at least in the way we experience it. There's a sort of deficit motivation. I've got to keep doing enough, passing my exams, being good enough, being kind enough to to maintain their positive attitude towards me. And so it's hard to believe that I don't have to do that with God, that he is so committed to my welfare, that a life under grace is a life of, of security, of just feeling completely safe, Because I'm loved. Which brings a a joy, a wonderful joy, and a peace. Peace is possible under God, under the reign of grace. It also brings humility. This is an important part for us because if we think that what I get from God is because I've deserved it at all, it will puff me up. You know that feeling of your head getting bigger and bigger and bigger 
Because you're just feeling so proud of yourself. It will do that to you unless you're fully convinced that it's got nothing to do with you. It's all to do with God and his grace. So grace humbles us without humiliating us. It humbles us in in the best possible way, not by destroying our sense of value, but by giving us such a strong sense of value that comes from outside us, not from inside us, that we can be confident and humble at the same time. Loved and loving others at the same time. Now, one of the temptations when you go home from NYC, at least I've experienced it, is I'm full of all this new knowledge. I've worked out that some of the, my friends, they don't know it. They don't know about predestination. They don't know about election. They don't know about God's grace. Well, I'm just going to tell them. Please don't. When somebody asks you how MIC was, exult in God, not in your superior knowledge. Please don't go home and correct your youth group and your your parents and tell them how they're all wrong. That, That is not humble, is it? That's not somebody who's understood God's grace. That's somebody who's full of themselves. Yeah, there is a right time to share what God's taught you. Sit down and, and, uh, but do it in a way that, that exalts in God and his grace, not you and your knowledge. And lastly, under grace, we can actually live a life taking a few risks. My guess is that for most of us, fear stops us doing all sorts of things. The fear of losing friends, the fear of losing respect from those we want respect from, the fear of losing the career path we'd plotted out for ourselves, the, the fear of, of, of anything that it restricts us, it, it keeps us on a safe track. But if God is totally for you, the God of the universe is totally for you. And if that God has entrusted his precious gospel of grace to you, why? Why did he do that? Well, that's grace again, isn't it? So that you can share in the joy of seeing that, that gospel bear fruit and flourish. But if that God is totally for you, well, a way of saying it is, it's going to be okay. Take the risk. Maybe create a conversation about Jesus with some of your friends and they may lose respect for you, but God doesn't. You haven't lost the grace of God. That's your rock. That's your anchor. So I can encourage you to not be the snowflake generation that's got to be mollycoddled and, 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 and everything is too precious. No, take some risks as a child of God, living under his care, living under his grace. Ready to go and live? Live under the reign of grace? then can I ask you to keep asking the why question? Yes, keep asking the how question as well, but be a child. Be like a child and with everything that happens, just ask why. Because in the end, the answer will be the grace of God. And as that answer comes, and as it comes into your heart and into your mind, you will exult in God and his grace. And that would be a wonderful way to live, wouldn't it? Amen.